0: Hey, it's Chris Urban. Welcome to the TripleClicks Video Game Marketing Podcast. I'm a huge fan of Andrew Warner and Mixergy, which is all about successful people teaching ambitious startups. I was honored when Andrew invited me on their podcast, Startup Stories, to tell our TripleClick story and share some knowledge on the gaming space. We had a really fun, broad conversation about marketing and the video game industry. I hope you enjoy the repost.
1: This interview is sponsored by LinkedIn, do business where business gets done. Get a $100 advertising credit towards your first LinkedIn campaign. All you have to do is visit linkedin.com/mixergy. That's linkedin.com/mixergy. Terms and conditions apply. I'll tell you more about it within this interview. Hey there freedom fighters. My name is Andrew Warner, I'm the founder of Mixergy where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. I have not done enough interviews in the gaming space. And obviously I see that gaming is huge, but I haven't done interviews because I'm not a gamer and I feel out of my element. And so when uh, I was talking with Chris Erb on Twitter via direct messaging, I said, I'd love to have you on to talk about what TripleClicks does, but I have to just completely tell you, I do not know the space well. Is there somebody who could help get me up to speed? And Chris said, yeah, I've got somebody here. Why don't you just have a conversation with... What is Tom's job? He's the chief marketing officer?
0: Yeah, he, he's got a history with Epsilon and he just joined our company a few months ago and he's a uh,
1: new business development for us. And so without it being recorded, he and I could just talk about the space and I could ask every question that was on my mind. And I still feel like I don't have my head wrapped around how big this freaking industry is. And I know to take it seriously and I still have to tell you, Chris... There's a part of me that just goes to a bunch of kids playing video games. It does, it's not there to be taken seriously. And the truth is, if you were to say that to me about movies, i go, no, I, movies are amazing. Do you know how much impact that? But no, gaming is bigger. All right. I should introduce the guest instead of just talking at him. <laughs> Today's guest is uh, Chris Erb. He is the founder of Triple Clicks. It's a video game marketing agency. Just to give people a sense of proportion, how big is gaming compared to, say, the movies?
0: Great question. Video game industry is about $152 billion uh, billion a year. The movie industry is about $43 billion. So if you take music, which is about $21 billion and combine it with movies and double it, that's the gaming
1: industry. And double it, combine it and double it. And that's the gaming industry. I want to get an example of what you do. And I thought, do you want to talk about Rockstar Energy first? What's the partnership there that you did?
0: Sure. Yeah. So a little bit of context. I, I spent my most of my entire career in the video game space. I spent a decade working at Electronic Arts. And what I did was help bring franchises like, like Madden into kind of pop culture relevance. So how do we work with brands and partners to elevate kind of our launches? It's kind of always been the goal. And so when i I did that for a long time at EA. I went to the movie industry and I noticed there's 10,000 agencies that do it for movies and there's no agencies that do it for video games. So I was like, aha, um, I'm gonna start this agency. So our job is to take games like Gears of War, for example, and how do we find marketing partners to kind of build awareness of the franchise? So the Rockstar example you gave is a good one of, how do we take our IP, partner with a brand like Rockstar, give them something of value to put on their cans of their products, and help, have them help us market, market our games. So for instance, if you buy a can of Rockstar, it'll have a special custom Gears of War can, and it will have a piece of content and a code on the can. So you open it up, and you will you know put your code in the box, and you would get a piece of content that you only got from from the can, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, what's the content that I get that I only get from the can that there's no other way to get?
0: It, cha- it changes from game to game and promotion to promotion. I think when you start to look at the way... I tend to look at consumers are marketed, you know, 10,000 times a day and a lot of the programs are just kind of marketing thrown at them. So you're marketing to these kids, how do you build a relationship with them? You, you, you look at look at a game like Fortnite that probably makes 200, 300 million dollars a month selling them digital content. So kids are used to buying content. Instead of buying content from a publisher, how do you get that content for free from buying a brand or product that you already love? So how do you build those kind of deeper relationships? So Whether with Gears of War, it was either skins or maps or or vehicles. And so depending on the game, I think you kind of change up the content.
1: All right. And then who pays whom? Is it Rockstar Energy paying for this? Is it Gears of War paying Rockstar to promote them?
0: It's less of a transactional relationship and more of a deeper relationship. So just like a film, I've got the IP and you're going to go give the IP to a product to help promote it. You know, Microsoft will give you the rights and we'll build some. We'll, we'll invest our money to build content to give you, and then we'll look for our partners to, you know, leverage their cans, their marketing, and how do they tell the story about those things? So it's a little bit less of a transactional relationship and more of a, a collaborative partnership to kind of build awareness on both
1: sides. And then they pay you how?
0: So in that scenario, I am Xbox's agency of record for promotion. So I, I work very closely with, with Xbox and we kind of build strategy for promotions and partners. And then we kind of go find those partners and bring them in, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering, I want to go back and understand how you got here. I'm wondering what you were like as a kid, Chris, is
0: this too personal? No, oh, it's fine. I was probably super boring. Um, I, I was born in New York, grew up in Seattle. I, you know, my first real, yeah. 15 and a half real normal jobs at Dairy Queen and everything else. And when I got to college, uh, I was a bad boy for the Seattle Mariners, so big sports fan and always kind of grew up in sports and video games, which kind of naturally when the career starts, I, you know, my first real job was I was the marketing director for a brand called GameWorks, which is a video game arcade that was Steven Spielberg. And kind of all those had launched in Seattle. So I worked there. So what did you do for them? Uh, I was marketing manager so I ran the Seattle store of GameWorks.
1: What type of marketing do you do for them?
0: GameWorks is 20,000 square foot arcade that also sells beer and chicken wings and so how do we bring people into the venue to play video games and and drink beer and do those kind of
1: things? Do you remember what you did that worked that you're especially proud of?
0: It, my dad always laughed, your job's to get people to come play video games. They're like that seems like the easiest job on the planet, which conceptually seems good but it was better than selling diapers or something like that so our probably our biggest moment at the time was it was back in the day as we got in sync to come show up and do a meet and greet you know close down a couple streets and had some crazy crazy fans come through so yeah just kind of and that was you doing it yeah how'd you do that in sync was huge uh it was at the time yeah it makes me feel old but yes it was at the time relationships within the city you know building you know how do we give radio stations at the time, the venue to kind of pull off stuff like that? So how do we collaboratively partner with that stuff? So,
1: ah, so that was you saying, we're going to partner with the radio station, which needs a place to go and get people to gather and in sync, then gets mentioned on the radio and they've got more plays. Is that it? It's- yeah,
0: they've got in sync. What are we going to do with them? And I was like, Hey, you can come bring them to our venue and promote our venue on your station. And you know, you have those moments. I think, well, we looking back career-wise, I always wanted to I I wanted to be in marketing, but I didn't really know how. I think GameWorks was kind of that first step of like venue marketing or location-based marketing. So, I was really trying to like you said, how, how am I figuring out how to kind of take this space that we have here with no marketing budget um uh, to figure out how to kind of use this venue to drive traffic in in and just like any restaurant or or, or those kind of establishments. How would you end up at
1: EA Sports?
0: So there was one step in between. I left GameWorks and I went to a company called Wizards of the Coast. So I worked at uh, I, I moved over to Wizards of the Coast, which is in Seattle, and I ran a little brand called Pokemon Dungeons and Dragons. We had Magic the Gathering, so a lot of brands like that. So that was my first product marketing. What do you mean that you ran it? So I would so I give Dungeons and Dragons is kind of the example. We would help sit with the development team on what are the new books and stories that we're telling around Dungeons and Dragons. And then I owned the p How do we, how do we drive this business forward? How do we, how do we sell more copies of the books? How do we do the marketing? How do we kind of build that mm. stuff? Up? So your basic traditional product marketing, launching campaigns.
1: Do you have an example there of a marketing technique or a marketing effort that worked especially well?
0: I think the biggest thing I, I did there, well, Pokemon was like, we had you know, we had billion dollar months in Pokemon. So a lot of people involved in kind of really driving that business home. And then how do you launch the product? Like, like a traditional marketing campaign.
1: Like what? Do you have something a little more specific that you were able to do?
0: There's things that we'll do specifically at the time for Barnes and Noble and those kind of uh-huh. things. And then there's the local hobby store, which was there's 2000 hobby stores. And then there's 2000 owners of different stores. So it's kind of a networking. And community. there was
1: somebody whose job was to work with the 2000 hobby store owners yeah. and find some kit that would bring people in and that it was on them to bring people in but then you supplied the activity for their yeah
0: how do you how do you sit together and collectively bring in okay what what's important for the hobby and core store like for Pokemon is was promo cards so how do we build together a, a kit that we could sell to the hobby stores which would have 10 promo cards and they come in and they do a Tournaments and kind of give out valuable content, which is inexpensive to make but valuable to the consumer. Got it. It's it's really about community building and kind of engagement and keeping people connected with with the audience. If that makes sense. Are these the type of games that you were into when you were a kid? I I've definitely played Dungeons and Dragons a lot as a kid. I wasn't as into the typical deck building kind of card games. I had a lot of respect for like the Neopets and the Pokemon communities and those kind of things. But that was a little post me. I definitely grew up more of a Dungeons
1: and Dragons player. They were considered nerds back then. It was completely, right? Completely marginalized. Did that bother you as, as a kid growing up? uh no you should have enough self-confidence to love the how'd you get enough self-confidence it took me till like few
0: years ago to get that good parenting so i have nine-year-old twin boys which i (laughs) teach every day just don't care what people say do what you want to do and like passion and, and those kind of things i think community is interesting because i do think dungeons and dragons was very kind of a nerd culture back in the day but then now you look at like stranger things and kind of nerd culture is kind of mainstream i think you look at a Even an actor like Joe Manganiello is, you know, he's the jock of the football team, but also like the DM of his Dungeons and Dragons game and his passion. So you know, whatever's happening at the top of the country and the separation up above down below, everybody's loving comic books and video games and movie culture. And you're seeing a lot of overlap within those communities.
1: I feel like even entrepreneurship was looked at as this dorky thing. Why would you care about business at all? You're like, what do you want to be? You want to be a banker? It seemed very dorky. I did it because there was nothing else I could think of. I was just so passionate about starting little companies. Were you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably more of an executive. I spent most of my career working kind of in the fortune 500 companies as executives. And then when I started this, this was like my first entrepreneurial thing. So I'm definitely not the Gary Vaynerchuk of, you know, having to be that entrepreneur from day one. So it's kind of learning quickly on, on how to like, okay, wait, I got How does this HR thing work? So I got to figure that out. Kind of navigating the nuances of a business was, was new to me, which is different challenges, but, but, you know, in a really good, fun way.
1: I'm curious about what those challenges are, but we'll get to it when we talk about that portion of your life. You then went to electronic arts. You said you saw something in the movie industry. What kind of partnerships you have one that stands out for you that you said, wow, why aren't we doing this in gaming? Well, I think
0: when, when I landed at EA, I, I, was, I was in charge of the Madden franchise. And At the time I was working on the Madden franchise, it was, you know, it was launch the game and spend $20 million in TV. Um, and that was just kind of the culture. It wasn't, I did anything different. This is kind of where things were. But, you know, 2004, 2005, you're starting to see kind of online connectivity with consumers. You're seeing a lot more kind of social was starting to pop up a little bit. So how do we build marketing campaigns that kind of made a bigger cultural impact? So instead of just launching Madden, how do we make Madden feel like a national holiday, right? How do I get people to call in sick when Madden comes out? How do we get people to get in line at midnight to buy Madden at the stores? So how do we kind of shift the launch of Madden from the launch of a video game to like a theatrical moment that the community was getting together and building that stuff out?
1: So what'd you do to create that experience?
0: The first thing we did was we went to a small town in Mississippi called Madden. No coincidence, as we're launching the franchise, mm-hmm. with probably about 160 people. How do we go throw a celebration in Madden, Mississippi, and kind of give everybody an Xbox and a copy of the game and do some kind of stunt things, as well as doing your CNBC live interview from Madden, Mississippi? And then you evolved that to the next year. We actually were like, okay, the holiday thing works what if we go to times square and what if we launch, what if we launch kind of Madden holiday, which is kind of the, you know, the, we, we literally had the ball dropping in times square and we turned it into a box. We had Ozzy Osbourne play on top of the marquee in times square at midnight. Like, so how do you kind of just culturally grow and, and turn that, that moment of Madden holiday into, into something that everybody could kind of rally around? No, a lot of that is you had the
1: budget to do this.
0: No, oh. no, no budget at all. So that's the that's the bootstrap kind of mentality. We probably had we probably had twenty million dollars, and probably nineteen of that was mandated. Like you know, when you get into the NFL and ESPN deals and all that stuff. A lot of that was mandated media buys and stuff like that. So when we go to Times Square, it's like, all right, how do we work with Pepsi? How do we work with Doritos? How do we start partnering with brands to unlock their dollars to make them feel like they're part of a cultural moment, but also help funding it for us. So, so you a lot of- put
1: together the ball drop, but. Pepsi is funding it? Xbox
0: or Doritos or, you know, we're bringing in partners to kind of be there on this journey with us. So who's our, who's our hardware partners is Sony or Is at Xbox and who's our beverage partners. Okay. How do we work with Pepsi? Yeah. So it's bringing kind of brands together for the launch of Med.
1: Because they have cash to spend. You just have credits to spend with ESPN and other places. Is that right? Yeah.
0: I mean, we definitely had dedicated media dollars that were going for the, for the TV buys, but yeah, when you, when you start to do events or launch events like that, yeah, co funding a lot of those things are, are kind of important. So bringing in hardware money or partnership money from, from the Doritos or Pepsi's or Snickers or whoever in the world that is an authentic NFL partner that could kind of help fund this kind
1: of cultural moment. And is that on you, Chris, when you were at EA to come up with these ideas?
0: Yeah, I, I was in charge of the Madden franchise. I would not want to take credit for all of it. We had a, a team of six or seven people that we would all work together across cross functional team, so you would never see me taking credit for all of that stuff. But yes, I was only I owned the Madden franchise at the time. So it was so, uh, either if it didn't deliver, I definitely was the one that was going to get in trouble for that.
1: So. so it was Madden Holiday, there was Madden Palooza I, I read about a little bit. There was also uh, bars that you opened up, like at the Cosmopolitan Hotel in Vegas, am I right?
0: Yeah, we so I spent five years running the Madden franchise and then I I kind of moved into a new role at EA where I was overseeing the EA Sports brand. And so that was across all the franchises. So how do you get controllers in people's hands? How do you kind of build that kind of excitement around them? So yeah, we definitely did some licensing partners. We worked with Carnival Cruise Lines and we took the bar on the boat and turned it into an EA sports bar. So that was the place on the boat where you could go watch. Did the games that you couldn't see in your room at our bar? You could play video games, or you could do those things. We opened up, we partnered and opened up stores and airports, so we could charge your PSP or give you a chance to play the game. So I'm going to get you for seven days um, on a boat. I'm going to get you for an hour at the airport, and then we opened up a bar in Vegas at the Cosmopolitan Hotel, where you kind of come in and they seat you, and here's a menu of the games on TV and the games you could play. So. I'm going to get you for two or three hours in Vegas. So again, Uh connectivity, how do we not have to pay for it? How do we kind of build these partnership relationships with Carnival and the Cosmopolitan and airport stores? Um, So how do we license out the brand, but make it engaging and compelling. And so when people walk through an airport and they see an EA sports store, it kind of stops you for a minute and you want to kind of get engaged with, with the content.
1: So they get your brand, they get your content, your experience, you in exchange, get them, their customers to try out your games to have your experience and you don't have to pay for it. Yeah. Not with cash, yeah, that, you're paying for it with your brand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's exactly right. And it's not really kind of, most of that is because the EA sports brand is so big and gaming is so big. It's not like they're like, what's this EA sports thing. It's more like, My flight's delayed for an hour and a half. You mean I can come in there and play Madden?
1: Um, Awesome, I'm in. All right, and then after that?
0: I I went to and was kind of running the the legendary brand and kind of growing the brand itself. And for me, when you get there, the first thing you notice is there's 10,000 agencies that support the film industry, right? So we were working on Pacific Rim, Godzilla, and those kind of films. And there's a lot of ways to kind of connect with brands and do kind of promotional things. And I just remember... I, my, I had to do that all at EA. Like if I was going to go get a Doritos deal, I had to call Doritos. If I was going to talk to Pepsi, I had to call Pepsi. I didn't have an agency that would support that. And I had a really small team at EA. So like we, you know, we were working 18 hour days to, to make everything kind of come to life and you get to the film industry and there's just so much support for those kind of things. And I'm like, Hey, wait a minute, games are, bigger than movies it's more engaging than film right if a movie's a hit it's going to be in theaters for three or four weeks we've got games that kids are going to spend five or six hundred hours playing that game right we've got long tail so the the engagement and the opportunity for brands to connect with gaming is far bigger than the film industry why is there nobody's building these why are nobody putting this these pieces together for brands like how come that's not already happening and so that was kind of my first thought there. And so I left legendary after about a year, year and a half and started um, my agency in 2014.
1: Let's take a moment for my interview and talk about my sponsor LinkedIn. Let's pretend for a moment you're about to launch a campaign. It tested well, your entire team is happy. Everything is going according to plan, except for that one thought in the back of your head. How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to actually receive my message? Your answer? LinkedIn. Because when you market on LinkedIn, your message reaches people who are ready to do business. That means your advertising campaign will work as hard as it can as soon as you launch it. Do you know that over 62 million decision makers are on LinkedIn and they're thinking about business? It's one of the many reasons more than 78% of B2B marketers Rate LinkedIn as the most effective social media platform at helping their organizations reach specific objectives. I use LinkedIn to find guests for Mixergy, to know exactly who's got the right company in the right sector with the right business size to ask to do an interview here. LinkedIn can help you reach your short term goals, your long term business goals. They offer tools for brand building and lead generation. Not only can you target and reach a professional audience right down to their job title, company name, and even location, but you can engage people that you already know based on who's visited your site or who you contacted in the past. You can even customize your campaign based on action you want your customers to take and objectives you want to achieve. Doing business on LinkedIn, the world's largest professional network, can help you reach your marketing goals. So here's your call to action from Andrew: Do business where business gets done. Get $100 advertising credit towards your first LinkedIn campaign. $100 advertising credit. Just visit linkedin.com/mixergy. That's linkedin.com/mixergy. Terms and conditions apply. Let's jump into the interview, Chris. How'd you get your first customer?
0: Relationships. My mm-hmm. first customer was actually Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. And you go back to where you were at all starts, right? And so I went and pitched them. And luckily, a lot of the people that were still there were, were still working on the franchise. And my second client was Xbox, who I had built great relationships with when I was at EA Sports. And so you know, we really wanted to kind of bootstrap. I was, you know, my office was an extra bedroom in the house. And then when we really started to grow, we took over the living room downstairs. It was, and then at some point, I'm like, I guess I have to get an office. Well, I'm not sure why I need an office. So we opened an office and now, you know, we've, we've got 10 to 12 employees now and, and, and growing. And our job was really to kind of help the video game side or the entertainment side Bring brands in, but the vision for the agency was always to kind of flip that and be like, how do we be the only way that brands can kind of get into the gaming space? Getting into film is pretty easy. When you call a studio, you're going to write a check, and you're a partner of a film. It's a lot tougher for video games, I think. Why? You
1: have to get into the actual content of the game. Is that right?
0: Just to be in the world. I, you know, when you look at a video game, there's a, you know, Marvel, I, I use the Marvel films as a good example. So when Endgame comes out, they spent 10, 11 years, 22 films building up to this huge moment where this is going to be the biggest apex and their opening weekend is $850 million and is a huge win for them. Fortnite does $300, $400 million a month, right? So Red Dead Redemption does $750 million in the first three days and no one's, no one really outside of the gaming community knows what that is. So the revenue on the gaming side is much bigger. You don't see Rockstar rock Games when the Grand Theft Auto don't have marketing partners. Red Dead Redemption doesn't have marketing partners. It's not really needed. They They're going to bring the consumers in. So what my job is, is to help kind of find ways to work with like xbox who totally understands the best way to connect with consumers and so how do we bring brands in authentically to kind of share their story and, and make your your games feel like they're a little bit elevated
1: so wizards of the coast dungeons, dungeons and dragons was the first client what did you tell them that you would do you bring them brands to help get more dnd players or what did you offer them there's a really big artist named Todd
0: James and he created like the Beastie Boys logo he's very culturally there's an artist named Cause that that Todd works closely with he's a really big artist Todd was actually a really big D&D fan so we actually partnered with a clothing brand called Mishka and Todd built out um, a capsule collection of D&D created art that was on clothing with with Mishka so it was very kind of Dungeons and Dragons Mishka Todd James kind of collaborations and retailed in New York and really just kind of started to build some, some street energy around, uh, around the brand and start getting people kind of excited about the brand in different ways.
1: I see it on your site right here, right? This is one of the yeah, exactly. creations. But when
0: you look at, when you look at women's wear daily covering the new Dungeons and dragons clothing line, like that's a thing, right? You're starting to kind of break through and have that broader conversation about gaming and kind of, that.
1: Uh, and that kind of takes away the, the geek feel that i mentioned earlier it brings it it elevates it to more to a place where other people aspire to be associated with it am i right yeah
0: i think that nerd kind of culture reference for dungeons and dragons has kind of gone away and it's becoming kind of more mainstream you know you like most of the, the comedic shows everybody almost everybody in hollywood that's a creative Plays Dungeons and Dragons, like they, they they grew up on it, right? There's passion in the culture, you know. Rick and Morty, we just did a Rick and Morty collab. There's a Rick and Morty D and D book that just came out. We do a Stranger Things D and D book. So there's a lot of kind of that cultural relevance. It's really telling the story to a broader audience. Okay. So I, I think when we try and do kind of the collaborations with Misca and, and some of those other kind of lifestyle brands, it's it's really kind of elevating it to a broader audience and having a conversation that's not. Always expected to be had in, in different unique places. I think a good example of that is one of my successes at Madden was getting Madden on the cover of the Pottery Barn catalog, right? Like, what? Like, Madden's got a lot of other things going on, but just to kind of reach cultural mass, like seeing kids on the Pottery Barn catalog, having a big screenshot of Madden on that calendar, which they make 50 million calendars. But again, it's like finding your brand in unexpected places that really kind of raise eyebrows and, and get people excited about the content.
1: Okay. And so then Todd James, what's in it for him to be associated with this, with D&D and to create this work?
0: Yeah. I mean, Todd is a huge D&D fan. So, you know, if you want to buy a piece of Todd James art, that's three or $400,000 probably, right? Like he's, he's like a, like one of those kind of really premium artists. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to really, I can't afford to get him to do that stuff. But if you can find someone that's passionate about the game and we say, hey, Todd, you want to do this kind of thing? bringing him in to get him to tell his D&D stories. If you go to his social accounts, he's already drawing D&D characters. He loves that kind of world with his free time. How do we kind of bring that together? And that that actually went so well. And Todd was so happy. We were at, he was like, what's next? And we were like, mm, "Why to do a coloring book? And he's like, sure. So we actually launched, uh, if you go to search Todd James Dungeons and Dragons on Amazon, you'll see kind of a coloring book that we collaborated with him and brought to market, which is a really kind of fun way for him to, again, we're taking our brand and kind of wrapping his aesthetic around it, but kind of making it engaging and coloring books are kind of a big thing right now. And so how do we do something? I see it. we don't want to hire people that like, I don't want to go hire an artist that doesn't play D and D like he's authentically passionate in the space. And uh-huh. so how do we take that passion and kind of take that and kind of build something around it. All
1: right. And financially though, what's in it for him is a cut of the sales that happen on Mishka.
0: Yeah, no, not on the Mishka stuff. That's more of a lifestyle kind of a short. And there's no money in that really for anybody. That's more of kind of an energy play that we call it, like the coloring book. There's more of kind of a rev share on the back end of sales. There's some okay. of that.
1: But the play. clothing that he did with Mishka, there's not much revenue there. That's just him doing it for creative expression and for him to be associated with a brand that he loves, and for you to be associated with an artist that you're.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's not money's not it, always important in those kind of scenarios, right? How do you get social media how do you get the hype beast how do you get those kind of people talking about your brands and so you know i i think nike i'm a huge shoe fan i think what nike does when they drop a pair of chunky dunky shoes that they make based on ben and jerry you know you not it's a rounding error to nike they're not going to see anything That's not a lot of money there for ben and jerry's but that collaborative nature of test storytelling and getting people more excited about those brands is kind of what community and culture is really about right now and so those are the things that kind of get
1: people excited about your brand. Chris, how do you get to how do you bring out this kind of creativity out of yourself? Is it just partnering up with people who are creative and saying, what would you like to do and letting them be creative about it or is it yeah is it something that you have to train yourself to bring out of yourself?
0: That's a good question it's It's probably a combination between marketing and the things that you love. like if, you know if I was selling diapers or formula or something like that. I couldn't be as probably as creative, but like if you're playing in the in the, the things that you love and the, and the things that, that you, you're authentic, like I have a huge shoe collection. I play a ton of video games. I collect art. How do you kind of bring, you know, those communities are already brought together. How do you kind of bring marketing programs around those things that kind of build energy? Like I think Supreme is a great example of a brand that has electrified a community and really kind of built off that drop culture and the democratization of kind of building content and buying programs. How do we kind of take video games and just plug it into places that you don't expect to see it.
1: I heard your sister was a part of the founding of the company. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. She was really important because I don't know how to run an agency and she actually worked at an agency in New York city. So I told her I'm leaving kind of my movie job and I'm going to start my agency and I need you to move to LA from New York and do like teach me how to do an agency. So Yeah, very, uh, very close. And she runs kind of the lifestyle side of our business and does a lot of those collaborations for us. So it's definitely my wife manages the payroll and HR. And so it's definitely kind of a family business right now.
1: What did you? What did you not know about running an agency that you needed to know?
0: What's payroll tax mean? How do I do paychecks? Do I just write those Ah. myself? What is like HR? Like, hey, there's like state laws about. Yeah, I've got to hang this poster in my office to tell people that like there's sexual harassment training. Yeah. Like, what
1: did you end up doing with that, with that poster? They send it to me every year. You've got to keep it up to say what your minimum wage requirements yeah. are and all that.
0: But what I did learn is somebody tries to sell you a really kind of expensive one. But if you go to Amazon, Amazon actually sells one poster that has all of them built onto it. Uh-huh. So you just hang that in the, the break room. So that's what I mean. Those are the things that yeah. I, I'm really good at marketing. I'm really good at relationships. I'm not so good at running a business. And so I need really smart people around me to kind of come in and help me kind of learn how to do that. Like I said, I'm a corporate executive. You know, I know far more about s- stock options and, and kind of grants than, than the things that I need to build out. And so how do I sur- surround myself? I'm, I'm not the guy that thinks that he's going to know everything. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know where, you know, self-awareness, you know, where your kind of challenges are and how do you kind of backfill those to make sure that uh, they get done right.
1: What's another weakness of yours that you had to backfill?
0: hiring like i was just used to hiring people in my inner circle like hiring someone that i had never met before is kind of like why would i do that like, I, i've i know thousands of people they should all come on to collaborate and do stuff with so yeah i just think that whole kind of learning how um to to run a, like i'm great with relationships we're good with the employees you have tight relationships but like how do i make sure that we're like there's the california there's the federal there's the you know healthcare. care like you yeah. got ten employees how do we build i've got I got, I guess I have 12 employees in four different States. How do I give them a healthcare plan that works across four different States for 12 people? Like I don't have enough people right They're in four different locations. Right. it's just starting to learn how to kind of, you know, we're really kind of a polished agency. And
1: so how do we make sure? What'd you end up doing about that? I found that it's really challenging. I've seen my friends reach out looking for help with that. And then there's, there are a few companies here in the Bay area that are focusing on that problem. What did you end up doing?
0: I assigned it to my wife. So, <laughs> and, and then um, then I- <laughs> yeah, she spent three or four months trying to figure it out. And we we found a we found kind of a, a healthcare kind of that we, we were able to do it in multiple states. So yeah, it's like that's the things that are really challenging that can kind of frustrate you from kind of starting a business, especially when you don't know it. Like if if you find the people that oh you know, I own six businesses, they just know how to once you learn it the first time, it's easy to kind of replicate those things. And so this was kind of our first foray into the entrepreneurial world. So figuring out how to, how to kind of do, I mean, we're very much like do things the right way. And so figuring out how to do things the right way and bootstrap ourselves into it was the, was kind of the real challenge.
1: Tom told me, I think that you have 50% women in your company. I've talked to a lot of companies here in San Francisco that are striving to get even to, to half that.
0: But yeah. We just hire the best people and they just happen to be women. Like, I don't think that was kind of a, a thing that we're going to split off. Obviously, I had my, my wife and my sister kind of came in. But as we started to grow, it was like the best people that we could find for the roles. And so we, we interview everybody. We don't, we're not looking for any kind of gender or any kind of ethnicity. It's just like, let's find the, the best people for the roles. And we kind of lucked out. and um, We have a great mix and a great kind of small, tight community.
1: Before we got started, I I suggested that we start out with the Rockstar energy drink story as as an example of what TripleClicks does. You said we could do that or the Xbox and Taco Bell thing. What did you do with Xbox and Taco Bell?
0: Yeah, so we do across the board like we're we're partnering with Xbox to help launch the new Xbox and the new Halo game that's coming out in a few months this holiday season. We probably have 15 to 20 partners coming to market at that time. So we do a lot of things across different categories whether it be you know soft drinks qsrs sugars snacks candy bars like across those things one of the one of the fun ways that i think we connect with people is when you when you find a partner with the taco bell what's the most important way to kind of connect with them i think we talked about kind of the doritos and rockstar where it's about content on packages and I think that's kind of unique and different for those industries, but that doesn't really work so much for Taco Bell. So I think kind of figuring out the best way to kind of collaborate with them was important. And I think w- what was important for that consumer is access. How, do, how does Taco Bell give away or work with a brand like Xbox to give consumers something that you can only get at Taco Bell. like the Taco Bell is not going to do anything that anyone else has ever done. They, it's got to be new. It's got to be fresh. It's got to be different. They're kind of the number one kind of QSR in that category for the right people and their brand is passionate fans. And so how do we do something right for them? So we we collaborated. We've been working together for three or four years. Like last year, we actually created the Xbox hardware team Built an Xbox that you can only get a Taco Bell with a different colorway. And when you turn it on, instead of making the Taco Bell or instead of making the Xbox sound, it actually pays, plays the Taco Bell bong. And it's you can only get a Taco Bell for a six-week period. And so Taco Bell puts codes on the boxes. You get a code, you text it to win it, and you find out instantly if you won or lost. And we give one away every 15 minutes of, of the day. And so if you go to lunch and Taco Bell at noon and text, I can probably guarantee you you are going to lose because everybody else is doing it as well. But if you save your code and you text at 3 a.m., you have a far better chance of winning the Xbox because there's less people texting at 3 a.m. So it's really kind of how do we gamify the system? How do we kind of put hacks into the promotions? Like kids get it at 3 a.m., three weeks into the promotion, there's a whole bunch more people kind of texting that at that time. You and your buddies go to lunch and you okay, you text at three, I'll text at 330, you text at 345. And so we're kind of gamifying the system. So how do we kind of build programs like that for Taco Bell that are kind of unique and different? And and Xbox is building custom hardware that you can only get at Taco Bell.
1: I think there's a whole Reddit thread here about the times that people should be doing this. Oh, and look at this. Here's a link to the Google spreadsheet, putting in your 2019 entry times so that someone else created a spreadsheet for it. That's what you're going for. And this gets attention for Taco Bell, it gets Xbox attention, and that's the win-win for each of them.
0: That, yeah, 100%. Like That's what the TV media does, that's what the PR does. What the Reddit thing that you're talking about is really about doing something right for the consumer, right? How are you building this in a way that's engaging and they're having fun doing it and they're finding a way to hack through the system? If you te- If you text at noon or you text at 1 p.m., you're definitely gonna lose. So let's give them the advantage to to find ways to 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 have better chances of winning. So that's kind of a fun way that those guys, without us telling people that you could you you could text at any time, they figure it out and they kind of build a hack. The communities around gaming and Taco Bell fans are very smart people. You don't have to talk
1: down to them. Wait, this it's- is this is somebody on Reddit, I'm guessing, put together a spreadsheet for other redditors to go and enter when they. Entered to win and whether they won or not, so that they could find out that, like you said, at three a.m. there were more more winners. Exactly. I accidentally got my my iPad to read it out. This is the kind of thing that comes up because you because of the campaign you created
0: because of the way we built it. Yeah, that is like that's that's when I say the community is passionate and they're in their like they're loyal and they're really smart. Like those are the things that kind of come. If you build the campaign the right way they become um, supporters of your programs and they become evangelists for you. And those are the things that kind of come out of that.
1: look at this. And then there's a YouTube video explaining how to do this. And now people are all hopped up. How do you know what to charge for something like this? Uh, When you say charge, I mean, I've got people who are running agencies in my audience. Charging is a difficult thing. I was just interviewing somebody earlier today who he figured out what he would do is raise websites conversion rates and take a piece of the increase that he generates for them. And if he, if they spend at least a hundred thousand dollars a month on advertising and he takes a small percentage of the lift that allows him to build a strong business and it's logical, uh, it's a logical sale. How do you do it when it's something like this Where
0: well, It's hard uh, to measure. For us, it's more of our business is built on agency of record. So how do we get retainer? It's We're retainer business. We I don't want to get into, I want to nickel from every 100,000 people that enter. Like We don't want to get into any of those semantics. We want to have one conversation with a client. What's the rate? How do we build it? Great. Now we're family. Let's go figure out how to crush the program, right? So it's really about us spending 99% of our time working on doing the work rather than worrying about how to get paid to do. So retain retainer is kind of really where we're centered around most of our business. What
1: was your revenue last year?
0: Uh, not publicly traded, but it's, uh, it's growing year over year and we're really happy kind of. Give
1: me a ballpark. Are we talking about one to five, five to 10, any kind of ballpark?
0: Yeah. Then the second half of that five to 10.
1: Okay. And then after COVID no impact on your business because you're the agency of record.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we all are impacted by that in different ways. And so, you know, I probably haven't had a chance to grow the business as fast as I wanted to because of that. And I, you know, I'm off airplanes and I'm probably saving money that way, but less about that stuff. But the gaming industry is definitely succeeding within the, the you know, within this time. and so, It does
1: seem to be growing. Am I right?
0: Yeah, it, it's growing a lot. I think the interesting thing for me, it's, it's growing leaps and bounds but it's more of people are paying attention like people are saying like wait a lot of people are playing video games I'm like yeah a lot of people have been playing video games a long for a long time you're just noticing it for the first time media and brands for us, it's really like people love playing video games. They really do. And not having to spend an hour and a half driving to work every day and an hour having lunch at and work. And all the time you do, you know, you're, you're getting more free time at home and you're going to do it with the things you love and that's playing video games. And so you're seeing a lot of engagement. We're seeing a lot of people kind of get in, like I used to play video games. I just haven't had time because of the way my life works, but now I'm home. I have an extra hour and a half a day to do something. And so, you, you know, you're go try and find an Xbox right now. They're hard to find.
1: I like, know. I heard the founder of OfferUp, who's going to be doing an interview with me. He's saying that Xboxes are hot and Nintendo's are hot on his platform. You have it. People are going to buy it from you quickly.
0: Yeah. The hard the hardware, yeah. Hardware is disappearing quickly. So, but I mean, it's just, it's just people, if you, if you love gaming and you have extra time, you're going to spend more time in it. And you, if you grew up loving gaming. You're just gonna you're gonna kind of come back to it. I think if you look at 99 percent of Gen Z plays video games,
1: right? What do you think about content creators, um, the business of being content creators?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing. I think it's a, it's a really important part of the gaming industry. I think a lot of, from a brand perspective, a lot of brands look at esports as a way into gaming, and I don't really. I think esports is really important for our industry. I think it's amazing for the gamers. It's not the first entry point for brands, in my opinion. So finding ways, you know, if I told you I was launching a beer next week and you're like, what's your marketing plan? And I said, ESPN. And you'd be like, that's not a marketing plan. You're buying media, right? Just like when you talk to brands, they're like, Twitch is our gaming strategy. I'm like, that's not a gaming strategy. Uh, that's that You're buying advertising. What you should really do is we work with brands to help build a strategy around gaming. And then you can use Twitch to share your message, But it's really about like, hey, are you going to market to gamers or are you going to build these relationships with gamers? And if you want to build relationships with gamers, how do we kind of help build that strategy to authentically bring you into the space? And then we can use esports and Twitch and kind of those platforms to tell your story. But it's really about kind of connecting with these consumers because they're so important, so influential. How do we kind of build these
1: authentic relationships? What have you done with content creators, with the gamers who are playing and then talking up brands?
0: Yeah, I think we do a lot of like, so we'll seed programs. So instead of paying for content creators, in my opinion, we build, we take the money instead of spending money on those guys, we spend the money on building great, crazy, amazing things and giving them to the community. And so for example, we we did an Xbox Jordan uh, a couple of years ago where we worked with the Jordan brand to actually build an Xbox shoe that was exclusive and you could only get it from being an Xbox employee or we had seeded it with some people. And like it's on stock X for four thousand dollars, and everybody I see bugs me about giving them a, a shoe, and you know all of those things. But like people are excited about it. We don't have to tell people or pay people to kind of promote and talk about the shoe. Like we created something that you really want. And so how do you how do you evangelize it? We did it for Valentine's Day a couple of years ago with we have a famous weapon inside Years of War, and we built these fifty five pound chocolate versions of the weapon, and we sent it to streamers. And so for Valentine's Day they got this 55 pound chocolate bar of their favorite Lancer from the game. And so they tell their stories around social media and do some fun things around it. So you have to be kind of creative and you have to be able to connect with that community and get those guys excited about it. And they'll tell your story for you.
1: If I want to do more interviews in this space, what should I be looking at? Where do you think the interesting stories are that, that the interesting examples of what can be done that I'm not noticing in the gaming space? Yeah. Uh, it's probably
0: there's a guy named jeff keely he's who you should probably talk to jeff is and I, he laughs every time i say it, he's the ryan seacrest of gaming he he's created something called the game awards which is kind of the oscars of our community about 45 million people watch the show when it happens and 45 is- million people watch it He'll give you better stance. Like, yes, he'll, they'll, they watch it across multiple platforms. He'll tell you a great story about that stuff. But I think Jeff is kind of a great person within the industry to kind of tell stories about kind of the growth of gaming and where that's come. He's kind of betted every E3 since he was 13 covering E3. So it's he's a great person. I'd also talk to kind of main people that publishers of the games, like I think people that are making the games and kind of telling their stories around that. And then I think you should talk to streamers. You know let 's find a ninja or someone within that space that can kind of tell their story of how they how they grew up into this space yeah. that's when i when I have a podcast and i I talk to different people within the community and we try and pick out different you know there 's either the streamers or the business people or could, you know we work with a band called Run the Jewels, and we help bring them into video games and so it 's fun to talk to artists to find kind of creative ways of why they 're passionate about gaming so I think there's a lot of different angles that you can kind of look at.
1: All right, I see your podcast right now. It's, I don't know how I missed it. It's up on tripleclicks.com. On the upper right, there's a link to the podcast, and triple clicks is spelled triple and then C L I X. Why'd you name it triple clicks?
0: The real answer is because it's ownable on all social, okay. <laughs> social platforms. But the idea was triple clicks, and the clicks either being computer clicks, controller clicks, or so there's a board game called clicks that you can play on there. So there's some storytelling about triple is really the, the publisher, the brands and the consumer. So we have some storytelling after we get the clearance to, to use it on all
1: socials. So. All right. Thank you so much for doing this interview with me.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the show, so it's fun to be on.
1: I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you. See you on Twitter. Bye. Bye everyone. I want to thank Andrew Warner and
0: everyone at Mixergy. For more stories about successful and talented entrepreneurs, check out the Mixergy archive of previous interviews by searching Mixergy wherever you listen to podcasts and find them on Twitter at Mixergy and at Andrew Warner.